How is it possible that this message is the basis for good news? You are defiled, and in and of yourselves you can only spread the defilement of your sins. Your troubles in life are the consequences of your sins, and as such you're going to continue to suffer from them throughout your life. How is it possible that from that news comes something good? Let's find out. Hello everyone, I'm Joel Van Hoogen, and this is The Bread of Life. This program is brought to you by Church Partnership Evangelism. To learn about our reach around the world, go to traincpe.org. And to learn about our missions fellowship in Boise, go to breadoflifeboise.org. We're considering Haggai chapter 2, verses 10 through 19, and how bad news about ourselves is the starting point from which good news comes to our lives and goes out from our lives to others. His grace is greater than your sin. I come to God and I... I still know that I'm a sinner and that I'm a great sinner, but I come to him and I rest in him because I know that his grace is greater than my sin. I found in God's love and in God's saving power a grace that overwhelms the sin that still resides within me and the sin that still flows out from me if I just live in my own power and my own strength. Charles Wesley taught a song along these lines. Listen to these words. He taught us to sing this. O Jesus, full of truth and grace, more full of grace than I have sinned. Listen to that. More full of grace than I have sinned. Jesus full of truth and grace. More full of grace. More full of grace than I have sinned. Look at your own life. Your life is full of sin. Everything you touch is defiled by your own hands. But Jesus is more full of grace and love and goodness for you then you're full of your sin. Jesus, full of truth and grace, more full of grace than I have sinned. Yet once again I seek thy face, open thine arms and take me in, and freely my backsliding seal, and love the faithless sinner still. Keep loving me. That's what I am. I'm a sinner. Keep pouring your grace out upon me. That is the love of God's grace that you may exalt in. None of yourself and all of God's abounding grace to the chief of sinners. And when you understand this and know this, this inspires an obedience that does not buy grace but spends it. I don't buy God's grace in my obedience. I want some more of God's grace to help me so I'll be really good and I'll obey and God will give me more of his grace. No, I don't buy God's grace. I spend it. I'm a sinner and God is gracious. He poured his love out upon me and I receive it and I accept it not because I deserve it, because he's good. And as his grace pours over me, I spend that grace to help me live a life and enrich my life in the joy of living for his honor and for his glory. Grace, his grace for my sinful self. You See, it's only when you understand this that you can truly exalt in the loving, free salvation that God has given you. You don't buy it. You don't earn it. You don't retain it because you're somehow a good person. You don't get more of it because you receive it the right way and you take hold of it and you retain it that way. No. You receive it as a sinner who is in need of grace, always in need of grace. And so it's all of grace. You don't earn it or buy it. You can't buy grace. But you can't spend it. He pours it out upon you so you can spend it in living and honoring and glorifying him in joy because of his endless, deep, profound love for you that you'll never be able to understand or ever be able to explain to another They'll just have to take it themselves. It's true. Here's the only other part. It's here. It is only when you see 
that we ourselves only bring our sins into the world and that God alone brings holiness and life to the world, that we can properly be an ambassador of salvation to others. If you think somehow that you're bringing good things into their life and that you're the person that's going to somehow be the point at which you're going to be the center and circumference of the gospel message, you won't be able to bring the gospel message to them. You'll bring a message of self-righteousness and law. No, we bring to them the message of a God who saves us and delivers us. If you think that you are earning a thing from God by some measure of your effort or your goodness or some good turn that you're making in the right, you'll really have no good news to give to anyone else. You'll have no good news to give to anyone else. I've given this as an illustration a number of years ago. I think it's a wonderful illustration. Charles Wesley, John Wesley, and a number of men at Oxford developed a club called the Holiness Club. They wanted to discover how they could be holy, in a sense, by their good works and righteous works, gain their way to heaven and earn their salvation. And so they developed plans and strategies to do good things and righteous things. And ultimately, that commitment took them all the way over to Georgia, where some of them became missionaries trying to bring the gospel to the Indians. But when they got there, they found out they had no gospel to give them. They were doing it for their own salvation. They were doing these things for their own good works. They went back to England, and Charles Wesley had a pattern and a habit of going to the prison where there were condemned prisoners on a regular basis in order to bring them some food and in order to comfort them before they went to that gallows the next day. And yet he had no good news to give them. And then one day he came upon this understanding that there was a righteousness provided through Jesus Christ's death on the cross and it was received by faith. It was freely given to wretched sinners who only looked to him and believed and trusted in him. And at that moment, they were washed and they were cleansed and they were set free just by a look of faith, just by claiming it for themselves, not earning it, not deserving it. And that at that moment, at that very moment, no matter where they had gone in their lives, no matter what they had done, no matter what they had added to the account of their sin in their life, at that moment, they were made clean and they could be made right. And it took the burden of this religion off of him and this desire, this legalism that was trying to earn his way into God's presence. And he was swept over with joy. And he immediately began, this great famous songwriter began to write hymns and songs expressing the great joy of knowing that the chains of his bondage to sin fell off with a look at the Savior and he was made free. And then one of the first things he did is he went back to the prison where there were a group of men who were condemned to die the very next day. And he spent the whole night with those men, sharing with them this wonderful truth. And these men received it and they embraced it and they were wonderfully saved. And they began to rejoice that regardless of what they had done in their life and regardless of what they had brought upon themselves by the crimes they had committed against their society, that they were right before God and God was ready to receive them and receive them to himself into eternal heaven. They were like the thieves on the cross. I found the answer was simply to say, Lord, remember me when you come in your kingdom. I trust in you. I believe in you alone. And so then he taught these men songs to sing. And so all through the night, these condemned prisoners sang these songs. Then the next day, they went to the place where they'd be hung. They're on this cart being led away to the place where ropes are put around their necks and they're going to be hung at the gallows. He is called up upon the cart because the men want him to pray for them, not the, not the chaplain that's been assigned to them, but him. And so he gets on the cart and he prays with these condemned men. And then they sing a song of praise. And then he gets off the cart. And the cart is pulled away after the ropes have been put around their necks. And they're hung and they die. Charles Wesley goes home to his house. And he writes in his journal the account of the event. And then he says, because he had something good to tell these men. That day under the gallows was the happiest day of my life. That's the gospel. In a moment, 
Christ comes down by a look of faith and trust and transforms our lives and changes us and makes us new. He gives us a story and a good news message to tell to others. And if you don't know it, if you think in any way you're earning, you're earning credit before God, because God will be no man's debtor. If you think in any way you're earning credit before God, you're not in a position to tell anyone that good news, that wonderful, wonderful good news. Here's the fifth thing. This may help you understand why God doesn't always turn away the consequences of your sins when you come to him. We might begin to think that our coming to him was only to gain a reprieve from the negative situations in our lives. We just wanted the crops to come in. We just wanted the stocks to turn in our favor. We just wanted to get a leg up on our competition. We just wanted to solve some problem in our home or our household. Or When you come to God and you think somehow that you're just trying to solve by your giving God what he wants, okay, I'll give God my heart so he can solve these problems. God, the people are thinking back there in Haggai's day, why are you not blessing us even that we are now building this temple all over again? Why aren't you blessing us? The last three months we've been doing what you asked us to do. We repented of it. Why aren't you blessing us? Why have you changed our circumstances? Basically, there's another way of saying it. They were saying this. God, you know, you should bless us now because we're working for you and we're building your temple. Why haven't you blessed us now that we're being so good? There's another way in which this could be framed. What they're really thinking is this. They're thinking that God's love and God's favor and God's blessing is a thing to be bought. We're doing these things, God. Now bless us. We bought it. We've been good. Now give us what we paid for. And as I said, God will be no person's debtor. And God, through Haggai, is responding to them, and he's answering this question that's in their heart. And he's saying, how can I bless you when you think that you're buying it with your works, works that I myself gave you to do as a blessing? Look at yourselves. You are in yourself still defiled. What good you do You do only as through the gifts that I give you. I do this. I work. I give you this because I love you. You can't buy it from me. Here's the conclusion. This is what was being said. We spread sin. We spread sin. God confers holiness. We spread sin. God confers holiness. Once God confers holiness upon us, he does not always withdraw from our lives the consequences of our sins. He doesn't always immediately make everything we touch and every place we go become a blessing for our lives. It's true God blesses us, but he doesn't always do that. We do not offer the world our holiness or our good works. We can only offer the world Christ's holiness and his life that he lives through us when we are completely yielded to him. When we see that all we are in and of ourselves and all that we can produce in and of ourselves is that which defiles and is defiled by our sins, we'll stop trying to purchase God's favor by our deeds. Only then can we fully exalt in God's salvation. Only then can we fully offer his free, loving gift of salvation to others. Once this lesson is learned and relearned, because you have to relearn it, Your default mechanism is go back to working and getting things from God as if God is grudgingly going to give it to you unless you perform. It's only when this lesson is learned and relearned that God is most free to bless our lives. It's only after this lesson has been taught, only after the point is made that they have come to this work as a gift from God by way of his saving grace, that then God can say what he says to them at the very end of Haggai's message here in this passage you've looked at. What you touch is still defiled by yourself. 
You're not earning anything from me by your efforts. The blight has continued because you can't spread anything in yourself but sin. All that is good, all that is good and gracious and right comes from me alone out of my love and my free grace upon you alone because I choose and delight to put mercy and grace upon you. It's just for me. You can't purchase it in any way. All you'll spread is sin. I give you what is good and right. Do you understand this? Do you understand this? They say, yes, we understand. And then Haggai says, by the word of God, but from this day, from that understanding, from this day, I'll bless you. I'll bless you. I'll pour out freely upon you my blessing. Have you thought about that? That one of the things that holds back the blessing of God upon our lives is the secret thought inside ourselves that we can earn it, that we can gain it, that we deserve it, that we've worked for it. Counterintuitive here. God, I have nothing to earn from you. All I have is freely given from your hand. All I have is freely given from your loving, gracious hand. Grace greater than my sin. Do you understand that, Joel? Do you understand that, folks? Oh, good. I'll go on blessing you from this day, from that understanding. I can. Well, thank you for listening to the Ministry of the Bread of Life. To learn more about our ministry, let me suggest you go to one of two websites. First, go to traincpe.org, traincpe.org, to learn more about the work we're doing all over the world to equip and engage the body of Christ in personal evangelism, discipleship, and church planting. Or to learn about our work in your community, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, God bless you.